Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, it's technically a travel day for me as I'm heading out to Pittsburgh for the Nutritional Frontiers event, but we cannot ex- make that an, an excuse to not have the Sacred Fire of Liberty version of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Jonathan E. Moore joining me in advance while I fly across country. Jonathan, how are you, my brother? Doing well, Robert. Safe travels, my friend. Thank you so much. Again, we bring health, freedom, and healing liberty wherever we go. There's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Some relates to uh, maybe some explanations about what Pelosi is doing or has done by going to Taiwan versus the Biden administration with all of its intricate links and ties to the Chinese government, Communist Party. It's just kind of all almost so jumbled up that I know you can make clarity there as well. Also, there's uh, one of my favorite articles that Jonathan has ever written just appeared a couple of days ago titled there is no such thing as public health and i'm like yes we need to have the headlines like that because that legal fiction has become so embedded into the dna of so many people in the western world inside and outside the united states that they have turned over their bodies almost lock stock and barrel so to speak to this you know the uh, what we say the uh, fauci's of the world that would claim that you know, we can save you with a mRNA injection. Uh, no, we can't. And on and on it goes that we lose the concept, which is truly the fundamental place where we have gone wrong. Jonathan is where we remember or forget right now. Most people have forgotten that they're an individual uh, created in the image of God. This temple, this body is a gift, but it is uniquely yours while you are here to steward over. And if they lump that into a mass collective of flesh, like in public health, and try to claim that you get sick as a group and you get well as a group, you want to talk about a fiction? I mean, that is as clearly a fiction from the standpoint of health and healing as anything that's ever been done. And I've argued against not the medical profession as to- in its totality, but the abandonment of individual relationships, doctor-patient relationships, and recognizing that individual health is how we either get sick or get well, and that the abandonment of that into some form of collectivist view of the body or bodies, it's, it's, it's medical communism, Jonathan, and you have, have kind of nailed it in a beautiful, simple way, and I hope that everybody reads this. Well, thanks, Robert. Um, the, the rise of this concept of uh, public health is coincidental with the rise of progressivism. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's a product of progressivism in the United States. And what had what happened was that the whole idea, at the same time they're dealing with eugenics as a, as a mass means by which to exterminate those who are considered uh, unfit, they also developed this conception of mass treatment of the population as a means to assure a government desired end, Mm. which was to get everyone to agree that the state can dictate healthcare. And that of course is a socialist communist type of conception preceding Mm -hmm. that Healthcare in this country was very, very much a, a individualistic type of proposition. Remember also at the same time that this is happening, they're destroying the doctrines of the Constitution that protect against the exercise of government power so that they could 
violate individual rights and not account for it. This is also the time period during which the administrative state is being developed in America, again, as a circumvention of the Constitution's uh, limits on power. So all of this is happening at the same time. It's intentional. And public health then takes off mm. with the Jacobson decision. You've got uh, the right of an individual under the 14th Amendment uh, against a deprivation of their liberty uh, without due process of law being completely ignored by uh, the court mm -hmm. in the Jacobson decision in favor of this idea that the public health can be discerned by the state. And once it is, you have no power to prevent your body from being subsumed mm -hmm. into this movement to compel you to receive the treatment dictated by the state. And this then has gone has run rampant into a vaccine schedule that's grown to enormous number of shots every kid has to have before going to public school. And uh, and it's also recently resulted in the elimination of exemptions from mm -hmm. vaccination. There's virtually no conscientious ob objection left in most states. And indeed, there is this rise of even eliminating medical exemptions. So even in the instance where you have a sound medical reason for not being vaccinated, even in their con conception, right, right. Yeah. Uh, they will not they will. allow that. So for California, for example, no medical exemption. And this means that they are intentionally hurting you. In other words, you have a reason to dissent. And yet you are denied that, that right of uh, informed consent. Yeah. Say, no, you have to be and, vaccinated anyway, even if it'll hurt, injure you, uh, even if we agree, right. you must still be vaccinated. Jonathan, I want to talk about an alliteration that's been programmed also into the brains of many people that they can't argue their way out of. The greater good. You've heard of that. The greater good. And it sounds, wow, the greater good. We'll sacrifice for the greater good. But what does it mean really for the parents that have lost children, for instance, to the vaccine schedule? either, you know, deeply into the autism spectrum or even have died, which we know uh, has happened. And I've featured a lot of parents, you know, it's a sad, sad story, but they've woken up to say, hey, this is not right. And that is, they say you took one for the team. Thank you. But for the parent that lost their child, how is that a greater good? And really, how is that argued to be unless you then adopt this belief of the collective, again, coming back to public health, that there is no value in the individual and that you're willing to sacrifice the individual for this ill-defined greater good. And so the ultimate, uh, go the ahead, Jonathan, I want to hear from you on this. The real question is empowerment. Who gets mm -hmm. to decide? Yeah. Who gets to decide what's best for your child? Mm -hmm. Who gets to decide what's best for you? And this concept of the greater good is a simple mechanism of uh, leading people astray by suggesting to them that someone else knows better than you do what is in your own best interest and what is in your child's own best interest, and they should dictate that. So what is it? Again, it's a progressive era notion that experts, so-called, mm -hmm. know better than you do what is in your best interest. Now, the reality is experts are almost always in debate. They almost always disagree. And when it comes to these issues of mass vaccination or mass treatment, you get a real problem because each person is different. 
each person is physiologically different. Mm-hmm. You can't assume that each person is not going to have, every person is not going to have a, a reaction. And some of those reactions may be life-threatening. And yet, even though the government admits that vaccination carries with it these risks, there's no investment by the government and there's no real serious encouragement by the government of any study or research to determine who is vulnerable mm-hmm. for all of the documented adverse reactions. And the reason for that is mm-hmm. that it undermines this collectivist narrative. Correct. Yes. It undermines their authority and control. Again, it is an issue of who gets to decide. And in a country that is free, where rights, individual rights are paramount, remember the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, this country was dedicated to the proposition that your individual rights are unalienable Mm -hmm. and that the sovereignty for this country lies in the individual, not the state. The state is to be our servant. When you uh, reverse that premise by saying the greater good will be decided by those who have political power, which is what they're saying, what they're really saying when they say greater good is that those with political power will decide in place of your judgment what is best for you and what is best for your children. Mm-hmm. And that isn't a greater good. That's a greater evil. Yes, they correct. Good. Yeah. So it is Orwellian. Indeed, it is a, a pervasive evil. Remember Thomas Jefferson's statement on the definition of liberty. He said that ordered liberty, that is to say liberty in society, is unobstructed action according to our will within limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. He said, I did not say within the limits of the law Hmm. because the law is often but the tyrant's will and always so when it violates an individual's rights. Mm -hmm. I'm, Jonathan, so clearly convinced that this public health effort, even though most people are under the perception that it is only for good. Now I'll leave the greater out. It's for good. It's good. It's a good thing. And I'm thinking if you're willing to sacrifice innocent life for some greater good, how good is it really? Does it mean that some lives are worth less than others? Now you get to use the word greater good. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they use the word greater good is because in their conception, their perception of what is good for you Mm -hmm. is a greater good than what you perceive to be good (laughs) for yourself. That's why it's a greater good. And it's, it's an authoritarian perception that has wended its way through our society via the administrative state, and it has destroyed many people's lives. It has sacrificed many people's health, Mm -hmm. and it has also led many people to realize that they don't have control over their own bodies, that in reality, you're in a country where if the government chooses to declare whatever it is Mm -hmm. a health emergency, it gets to elect to, to... take control over your body by mandating treatment. And fortunately, the Supreme Court has bucked this, but not well enough, I'm afraid. Hmm. Because while they recognize that in the context of employers employing 100 people or more, that the the president may not unilaterally act uh, in place of the legislature, 
they didn't reach the ultimate question when they recognized that the legislature, they said in the, in the case of Medicare, where we're talking about healthcare providers, that they could be forced. And they said that the statute there in issue did provide enough of a basis to force them to be vaccinated. That I think was an error on, on its own terms, but it's also on this ultimate question, a real affront to the system of governance that the founding fathers created, which would never have permitted mm. an individual's right over their own body, their life and their liberty to be deprived based on a government edict. It just simply would be alien to their conception. They wouldn't allow a person to lose the right to decide what treatment is best for them and their families based on some government official saying, I want you to do this instead of what you want to do. Jonathan, the perception of vaccination of the 20th century, for the most part, for most people, and, and I'm just going to speak in terms of surveys done, most people believe that the vaccine vaccines did greater good, whether we use that term or not, that it was really good. Look at all the wonderful things. Now, I might argue that a lot of the benefits that they proclaim vaccination is responsible for happened even before vaccines came out in terms of trans transformation of, of, you know, what we call sanitation, sewage hygiene, access to nutrition, etc. But even though the, the vast majority probably still do perceive that vaccines are good, where it crosses the line, and this is what I wanted to bring up to at this point with so-called governmental and non-governmental authorities or authoritarians taking away the choice that people once had to say no, that's now brought even the people that are in favor or have a favorable view of vaccines, whether it be the mRNA one included or not, to our side. And our side is what? Anti-vaccine? Not necessarily. I may say on an individual basis, I think there are better ways to go that I don't need them. But the choice that was granted, given to us by our creator, by God, that is then fundamentally violated by those who say, you know what? It's not only that we believe this is better for you. You don't get to say no to it at all, no matter how you perceive it. If it's dangerous, it doesn't matter. That's where now we have gained so many more allies, even if they are pro whatever we perceive might not be great for everybody. They've come on over because they also recognize that fundamental violation of choice is where we draw the line and we can find that common ground. Yes, that's very much the case. I'll defend your right to receive a vaccination if you wish to receive it. I don't think that it is. I think it's a violation of your rights and your choice, freedom of choice. If someone were to say you may not receive a vaccine that you wish to receive. Mm -hmm. But as you point out, Robert, the critical issue that is the constitutional question is whether an individual can have their freedom of choice taken away, whether they want the vaccine or not. In other words, if the state were to act to, to prohibit you from receiving vaccines, if you wish to receive that vaccine, it would certainly violate your rights if it were otherwise capable of being made available. Mm -hmm. What we ultimately need is what we did, uh, wrote for Ron Paul, wrote a bill for Ron Paul many years ago um, called, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was designed to allow individuals freedom of choice in the selection of health care, whether or not the FDA had approved the drugs or yes. the treatment or, or whether or not a medical board received approved the treatment. So long as an individual was fully informed of known risks and benefits, uh, they could then elect to receive that mm -hmm. uh, treatment. 
And really what we need to do is get back to patient-centric uh, care where individual patients are deciding mm -hmm. what they wish to receive. It's their body, their choice. They should have the freedom to do that and they should have the freedom to select healthcare practitioners and the practitioner should be focused on the patient, not on satisfying the bureaucrats that now have such a heavy presence in medicine that every interaction mm -hmm. with a patient is largely controlled, not by the doctor and not by the patient, certainly, but by uh, agents for insurance companies, agents for Medicare, mm -hmm. who are calling the shots. And ultimately, those shots are being called by the big daddy of them all, which is the FDA, the HHF, mm -hmm. yeah. and the overlords of the Medicare program. They're the ones determining what is medically reasonable and necessary. Mm -hmm. and deviate from that as a doctor you will be punished you you brought up an equally atrocious part of what we're discussing here on one level we have an uprising against the overreach of government forcing us to receive an intervention medical or otherwise that we do not want whether whether it's good or not is secondary to the what the the fundamental belief and entrenched in our founding documents that the government has no authority to do that. They've been doing it and they've pushed further than ever before. So we've gained more allies. Now, you brought up the preceding issues that you've been battling even in the court systems for many years, the prohibition on the freedom to choose things that those who have captured government and agencies, et cetera, and the media disagree with. And here we are, we might say, you know what, this mRNA shot, it's a, it, atrocious is an understatement and it's coming out. The, the science, everything about it is bad and wrong. Yet if somebody feels like it's their best way to go forward and they want it, we wouldn't stand in opposition to their freedom to choose it. We might try to engage intellectually and say, here's all the reasons why I think it's a bad idea, but I'm not going to use the power of government to stop you from getting something you perceive as good for you. We in freedom are free to make really bad choices too. And I think that's, again, the freedom that God granted me so that I could learn from the worst choices I've made to know what I know today to help myself and others. Yeah. And necessarily the world is a, a world of imperfection. It's not a world of perfection. So as a result, everything is changing in, in, in our midst mm -hmm. and science is coming up with new conceptions and information is enlightening us as we go along. And so we're learning the full extent to which the vaccine is an awful alternative. Nonetheless, this to COVID, the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, individuals will evaluate the relative pros and cons, and they may place faith in one unproven proposition over another. They may disregard proven propositions because they believe that somehow the vaccine is supplying some benefit to them, and they're more terrified about the virus then I would say is warranted. Nonetheless, uh, you know, that's their choice and should be because in the end it needs to be their choice. Now, if ultimately a, a, a vaccine is proven to be so deleterious that the administration of it to every person causes irreparable injury that will result in death or serious bodily injury, then it shouldn't be on the market, right? and it should be the subject of litigation, but it also ought to be the situation where individuals who are knowingly prescribing it, even aware of the harms, ought to be open to prosecution, ought mm -hmm. to be open to litigation. So 
there is a natural conduit other than the administrative state, which is products liability, which needs to be brought into this equation. And we ought to get rid of the National Vaccine Compensation Fund and the shield from liability mm -hmm. for manufacturers of vaccines, because that then makes them necessarily have their economic interests aligned mm -hmm. with the interest of the person buying the product such that they are uh, really at a disadvantage if they maintain a lie. Mm -hmm. Because if the lie is that this is safe, when it's actually very harmful, then they're open up to an avalanche of mm -hmm. product liability suits and can be brought down. And that's let's, really what ought to be the case. We let's go back historically because you, you actually served in the Reagan administration and, you know, Reagan was not perfect, but he was one of the most amazing presidents overall. And his principles that he abided by and lived by were just an example for, for us all. Yet one of the things that I would argue, and you might agree that he was duped into that 1986 act, the national vaccine injury compensation program, because he was vulnerable as so many are, as I've argued for years on this show, if we don't take a more active role in our health and recognize true dangers, what really causes disease, how we are protected from it versus the so-called vaccine religion, then I feel that people went into Reagan and said, look, if, if we lose these vaccines, because remember the manufacturers said we can't continue to put these on the market here in America because we're being sued until we're going to be bankrupt. And yeah. so Reagan had to perceive that it was so valuable to have these vaccines available that he would sign something that I think was fundamentally in opposition to his belief system about responsibility and liability. And well, so this strengthens my, again, my argument about everybody's vulnerability, doctor or not, right. in perception versus reality and this particular thing and what happened then. So maybe well, you can I give us some insight. I think there also was a part of this which uh, was was influential to President Reagan, and that was the idea that this National Vaccine Compensation Fund was going to actually supply anyone who is injured based on a, a simple um, submission mm -hmm. uh, reimbursement for the injury suffered. And the idea was that information would be um, uh, extended such that people would realize when something was going wrong. And the idea was that because this is a government system to begin with, drugs don't just pop up, they're approved by FDA and the, to, to be enter the market. It's, it's, a, it's an environment of second best. In other words, the best environment, the one that is consistent with principle is really no FDA. And I've offered uh, mm. a proposed legislative solution to the FDA, which is to have the uh, private uh, institutions like universities and science centers that would do the testing of proposed drugs uh, blinded from the manufacturer and would test those drugs to ascertain their safety and efficacy uh, before they would have a recommendation then that would go uh, for approval. And then there would be uh, a strong uh, a basis for approval. That idea, instead of having the FDA just take the drug manufacturer's own tests, which is a conflict of interest, right. and say, oh, my, there's no evidence of a safety problem. Well, that's because the manufacturer didn't submit any evidence of a safety problem. Uh, and, and that whole thing, the regime is corrupt from the get-go. Yeah. That FDA should be eliminated. But anyway, you have this regime of second bests 
and you have an environment where the government's already determining what gets in and what doesn't as far as vaccines go. So in that situation, Reagan thought that, look, all right, it's this, I don't agree with this. I wouldn't like to have this from the beginning, but I'm not gonna be able to get rid of the FDA. So what do I do? Well, if there's this bill that's gonna ensure that people who are injured get compensated, and I've got the manufacturer on the other hand saying, I'm not gonna make it unless there is protection against liability, sounds like a reasonable compromise. The problem with it is, as, as was borne out by the legislation, and as you and I would have believed based on principle, Robert, mm -hmm. was that yeah. as soon as you shield someone from liability for uh, 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 a product that may, by its very nature, pose a risk, you get them into the business of hiding risks and mm -hmm. you get them into the business of avoiding any potential for uh, uh, any, you know, any legal action against them, which makes them account. So you've mm -hmm. taken away their accountability and you've made them really a danger to society. Yeah. I, I believe again with vaccines. If I look at, you know, more from a, let's say a spiritual or religious dogma belief perspective, I think that ultimately is the work of the devil or the adversary to convince you that there is no liability for your actions if you harm someone or if you deceive them. And that, of course, is like the great game here. Uh, if you can convince humans that they don't have, you know, there's no effect to their cause and they can get away with anything, they'll they'll start acting like little de devils, if you will. And, oh, and, yeah. and, you know, there's so much money involved in these things. And they're looking at their shareholders and they're looking at their, their profit margins and they're determining mm -hmm. at the outset that this is going to be a winner or else they wouldn't do it. And and when things come along, I mean, with anything in science, you're mm -hmm. going to have a revolution that's going to upset the apple cart. Well, if you can control the whole environment such that that uh, bit of information that would upset the apple cart is kept away from people, mm -hmm. then you can profit from from the yeah. product. That's that's the destruction of a free market in medicine mm -hmm. and in drug development and in drug marketing has mm -hmm. been a huge uh, harmful effect on uh, healthcare in the United States and mm -hmm. on healthcare markets. It has been inflationary, mm -hmm. it has destroyed innovation. It has prevented us from uh, having patients be the center of attention. And instead you've got this whole movement. You know, they say, oh no, you're wrong. It's the profit margin that makes people corrupt. No, it isn't. Mm -hmm. The profit margin when enables individuals to control uh, at a very great extent, what is produced by virtue of right. the fact that it is their demand. Mm -hmm. And when, when a, you know, look, look at a, mar a more market example. Look what happened when t the Tylenol scare, when Tylenol was uh, uh, contaminated and, and they had a few bottles that resulted in severe injury for people. What the response of Tylenol to that was to radically transform the production of the product so that they use safety mm -hmm. uh, first packaging and so on. And that gave the, the, the that gave assurance to consumers. That the, the perception, yeah, that, that they could take it. I, it's, an, it's an ironic example, Jonathan, of course, as we know, Tylenol. We know. Yes. But the point is that that was a smart 
mm -hmm. uh, reaction because absolutely a market response. Now, if the ultimate product itself is is bad, like for example, was the case with uh, what was it the uh, uh, nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drug? Uh, oh, uh, Vioxx. Vioxx. Yeah. So Vioxx, you've got a reaction from doctors and patients and so on, all this information. But the FDA is protecting Merck mm -hmm. from the adverse information all the way to the end until products liability suits became legion. But yeah. notice that it's the products liability suits that drove Vioxx yeah. out of the market. If that were the environment today with vaccines, then we would see specific vaccines mm -hmm. being driven out of the market. Uh, based on adverse reactions, right. instead, we have an opposite environment. With with the hindsight being twenty twenty, or if if you know Reagan knows what we know now, would his appropriate response to that proposal would be pound sand? I'm never going to sign this. And if they can't produce a product that works and is safe enough to survive the market, then it doesn't belong on the market. Well, Reagan explained his relu reluctance that he. He really wasn't convinced entirely that this was the best thing to do uh, overall. But he thought, in, given the specific circumstances, maybe this is what we have to do. And so I think he would have uh, been all for the idea of changing it. But, you know, I don't want to speak for sure. Reagan. But I, I think that um, what he said at the time was indicative of his own concerns that this could be abused. And he was sending a, a clear message, I think, uh, to the drug industry that, look, I think this could be abused. And so don't you abuse it. But history is what yeah. it is. And we know that it has been grossly abused. And so many people have had their injured child not, you know, receive no compensation for what happened under the mm -hmm. compensation fund. And the compensation fund is a Kafka-esque Byzantine bureaucratic mess that uh, people cannot navigate and they will not uh, give any money out of that thing for conventional vaccines that have been around for a while. They yeah. just don't. And it's a very, very, very hard thing to establish the level of proof they're requiring. That wasn't the intent of uh, the bill. It's not the way the, the language of the act is written. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I agree with you. It ought to be repealed. And I believe that direct liability ought to be the yeah. station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with zero zilch zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. 
And listen, I appreciate this discussion so much, Jonathan. And a lot of the, you know, the history of what we see today is written about in the authoritarians. This book by Jonathan E. Moore, we've talked about it many times. But for those of you who are new to the show or new to Jonathan, this book is a sensational look through history to understand how progressivism impacted so much of the reality of what we see is called the United States, so far removed from what it was intended to be by the founders. And of course, the tie-in to collectivism, of course, which is the basis for progressivism and collectivism manifested through our medical systems and how that's led us into a disastrous place right now. And we're going to have to find our way back to, as we talk about free market medicine earlier this week, I had uh, a a woman that's uh, all dedicated to what we call reestablishing the free market in medicine and healthcare, which we have not had for maybe a century at this point, uh, maybe more. Uh, So this continues, our discussion continues, and I think our path back to liberty, path back to freedom, rather than a uh, path that's accelerated into communism or totalitarianism, and many people, good people, nice people, are convinced that the only way to solve this mess is more government intervention, and it's through their ignorance of this history that they would be manipulated to believe such a, uh, well, such a falsehood, demonstrably false. Uh, belief in the centralization of these bureaucracies can take care of us. And as I've mentioned this a number of times over the years, going to Canada every year for a number of years before the whole COVID thing happened, uh, we would go to these health events and I would speak to the Canadian people and they're very nice about their healthcare system. And they'd often say, and you've heard this, Jonathan, oh, you Americans, we love you, but your healthcare system is so mean and nasty. It's like people can't you know, get help and care. I said, all right, um, you like your system so much. Tell me what you use it for. You know, they're at this holistic health fair, right? And, oh, well, no, I wouldn't use it because it only covers vaccines and drugs. And I don't do those. things. I was, okay. So you're, you've made a decision based on your knowledge of the danger of allopathic pharmaceutical medicine. And, and yet you're not, you know, based on your love of the system of socialized medicine, you're not using it, but you're happy that other people, poor people perhaps can use this recognizing that they'll be subject and victimized by this wrongful method in many cases. Oh, I never thought about it that way. You know how freedom. And again, many of our fellow Americans have lost sight of that, that insurance schemes were truly only viable in catastrophic care scenarios where you pooled resources for unusual events, as opposed to the way it's pooled together, doled out and everybody's paid off. And then you get a penny back for treatment that is probably more harmful than helpful in most cases outside of emergency trauma intervention. And I know that's a, it's complex and I try to simplify these things, Jonathan, but I really want to reach out to those good people who really just are misled by their lack of knowledge of history or otherwise, or have not thought this thing through to the likely causal and effect relationship to give more power to these bureaucrats and the ease with which the globalists in pharmaceutical science, if you will call it science, will capture those agencies like they've captured our own. And we're not technically a socialized system, even though the Obamacare and other things are lending themselves towards that direction. So we've got a little bit of maturing politically and otherwise to do. But our lack of knowledge of history has made us easy to manipulate as a people. Would you agree? Very much so. And this is a situation that is an old, old story. Uh, Mm -hmm. The idea of government determining for a market what is to be provided then rationing it because once government controls price it and and determines a price point that they believe will make it available more broadly mm-hmm. or in the case of healthcare frequently free quote unquote then that just magnifies demand and what happens with that is that there then is scarcity 
and scarcity then leads to rationing and rationing always is a disaster not only that mm -hmm. but when government involves itself you have bureaucrats deciding what is and what is not appropriate health care and you have right. bureaucrats deciding that they have a, 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 a bias against any form of innovation because that involves risk and that involves unknown variables. They, they want to control the variables. They want to control the distribution. They want to control the allocation. They want to control who gets the available drugs. They don't want new drugs. They don't want a new environment to come along. They accept it begrudgingly and then they ration it into the system. The difference is that in a free market where your dollar determines what is available, you get a, a, a true free market, you get void of licensing, you'll have a panoply mm -hmm. of options. So for example, if I cannot afford one form of treatment, I may explore other forms of treatment. For example, it may be that someone recommended unwisely that I take opioids for my pain, but it may be that acupuncture can solve my pain, or it may be that some other manipulation mm -hmm. uh, of my soft tissue can result in an alleviation of pain. Um, and so there are a number of things that could be done, or maybe there's some homeopathic remedy or whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, all of those have varying price tags associated with them. Many of them are far less expensive than the government allowed uh, treatments today. Mm -hmm. But many of them worldwide have evidence of tremendous efficacy. So by giving consumers of healthcare the same kinds of options they have as when they go into a supermarket where mm -hmm. they choose from among various substances. Yeah. Why not in healthcare choices? Yeah, why not? And why not allow individuals to decide what's best for them? So many people have been failed by this government controlled system mm -hmm. that we have here. I mean, so many people have said, have they gone in and they say, I can, I have had surgery after surgery and still mm -hmm. I have the very same problem I began with, or I, mm -hmm. they have not been able to diagnose my illness. They just keep giving me drugs or mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm now, you know, 65, 70 years old and I'm on all these drugs. I've got five different drugs that I'm taking. I still feel totally miserable. And by the way, the heart attack they said that I wouldn't have, I have had. The cancer yeah. they said that I wouldn't get, I've got. Yeah. All of these things. In other words, we have got to have in, in healthcare of all places, uh, a open market in which innovation is encouraged and which mm -hmm. opportunities for uh, individuals to choose are maximized because it's your own life we're talking yeah. Jonathan I want you to address this I don't mean it's a devil's advocate role because it's not but there are people that say well Jonathan that sounds great but if those things those other alternatives really work everybody would know about them the government would approve them and we'd have access to them because that's what the FDA is for how many times have you gone to battle and provided sound science from around the world, much less here in the United States, about the validity of a, an alternative to a drug, for instance, whether it be another drug or whether it be a dietary supplement or something, and summarily rejected, or even in the case of selenium, winning 
<laughs> the argument and the government loses. And yet still the ability to sell something like selenium is curtailed in terms of freedom of speech that is not allowed about the science of selenium and its prevention uh, and treatment for cancer for one and other, among other things. So disabuse folks of, of that idea that if it all was really legit and worked and you had the science, the government would be all over it and go, yeah, go for it. Well, what they need to understand is that many, many years ago in the 1930s, the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act was created as a compromise with the industry to ensure that products that were not approved as a drug could not be marketed for use in the cure, treatment, prevention or mitigation of disease. The real problem here is that that very definition excludes all manner of substances that are not patentable from being considered to have therapeutic effects. Because if you take, for example, prune juice, which everybody on earth, I believe, hmm. knows is a treatment for chronic constipation, and you put on the label of the prune juice bottle, hey, friends, if you use this product, it will help you with chronic constipation. That representation transforms the prune juice bottle into an unapproved drug under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, and gives the government the power to prosecute the seller of it, both civilly and criminally, and they can go to jail for 20 years or more. Uh, and each unit sold is a separate law violation. So what this means is that truthful information about the therapeutic effects of anything that the FDA has not defined to be a drug or a medical device or a biologic, and legally authorized for sale is prohibited. And if it's prohibited and, and you do it, then you can be prosecuted. So what do people do? They engage in self-censorship. They hire lawyers to find out for them what they can say and what they can't say. And if the truth is what they can't say, they suppress it. Mm -hmm. And that is no, no one wants to voluntarily uh, commit a felony and be prosecuted by the federal government or have their places uh, rampaged through by uh, United States Marshals who are going after you as if you were selling methamphetamines. You know, the, the, the problem with this system is that it's thoroughly corrupt, it's anti-competitive, mm -hmm. it prevents information mm -hmm. from reaching consumers. And so that's why you don't hear all the details about mm -hmm. all the uh, effects. I mean, for years I fought the battle for folic acid we, we sued the FDA when it wouldn't allow us to say that folic acid in a supplement, 800 micrograms of folic acid in a supplement was effective in reducing the risk of neural tube defect births by as much as 80% mm -hmm. uh, in women of childbearing age. We couldn't say that even though the CDC was recognized as the truth, even though the scientific evidence was overwhelming, and even though CDC told doctors in prenatal care that they should be telling that very thing to their patients and recommending that they take mm -hmm. uh, folic acid supplements. But in the market, you couldn't say it. So we defeated FDA, the information got into the marketplace. And ever since that decision in Pearson versus Shalala, the, uh, the information has caused a revolution. People <laughs> are, are uh, we, we've seen the instance of neural tube defect births from before the decision plummet in the years after, from 2,500 preventable neural tube defect births every year to, on average, to only in the hundreds. And we've also seen the instances that were in the thousands and thousands of 
preventable neural tube defect uh, or, or abortions related to preventable mm -hmm. neural tube defects, that has gone down dramatically, almost to zilch, because women are by and large now aware, because it was in the marketplace, yeah. that they ought to be taking folic acid, 800 micrograms, before they become pregnant if they're childbearing, not after. And when they before when the FDA had had censored all this, the reason why there are so many neural tube defect births was because uh, women were going in after they became pregnant, and then they took the folic acid, and it was too late yeah. because you need to take it before you become pregnant. Right. So the suppression of information resulted in disastrous uh, consequences, and you had to fight battle so hard just to get that communicated, even as government, other government agencies acknowledged it and recommended it. And so the shorter answer in terms of simplicity is if you think that the federal government, as, as it manifests through the FDA, is going to give uh, any thumbs up or stamp of approval for something that competes with those substances or products that have uh, been the result of those agencies being captured, right? Pharmaceutical drugs, then uh, uh, the, it's a delusion that is very dangerous, and it and it's it's starting to crumble more than ever before. And that perception of freedom might be the solution, which we know it is, uh, may come back, and we might one day embrace freedom of speech, even for health and healing, which it should never have been uh, uh, abandoned. Although. Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence, was credited with saying that unless we put medical freedom specifically into the Constitution, a time will come when medicine will organize into an undercover dictatorship and restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privileges to all others. He said this would be, you know, basically this would be un-American and despotic and, and really would have no place in a republic. He was prophetic in that because it wasn't put there. Eventually that happened. And I don't know how he knew it, but we are still living under that miscue in terms of that fundamental. We needed to add that somehow in because somehow they said, well, if it's not written in there, it doesn't exist. So true, Robert. Benjamin Rush was on to it. And it's too bad that we don't have that constitutional provision. But we do have it actually in the overall purpose and intent of the Constitution mm -hmm. and in the power limiting doctrines, which have been exiled. Uh, yeah. from the Constitution, really, since the 1930s. And certainly, more recently, they've been reinforced by a number of unfortunate Supreme Court decisions. But the bright news is we have a Supreme Court that is, uh, by majority, onto this. And we may see some changes that are extraordinary. We certainly have seen the Supreme Court issue a number of decisions that really uh, uh, herald a new era in mm -hmm. constitutional interpretation in which the Constitution is being interpreted consistent with the framers' intent. Mm -hmm. uh, and while most consumer, most, most Americans would assume that's what judges do, uh, that, in fact, has not been what judges have no. done for so long. So it's nice. It's a tremendously refreshing and essential change mm -hmm. if you believe that the Constitution needs to be truly the supreme law and protected uh, because it is the very, very bulwark that defends us in our individual liberty. And I do want to encourage the people in the states to not wait for Supreme Court decisions when they're clearly violative of uh, what they call the supremacy clause. You know, if there's no uh, authority that the federal government has been granted by enumerated powers to do certain things, the states, by and large, by the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, and the people should just go, we're not we're not playing that game with you guys. It's null and void. 
Uh, and that's another aspect of this. Let's pause for a moment. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I am enjoying it right now. Jonathan Emore and my good friend, FDA Dragon Slayer. And you can check him out at emore.com, linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You could uh, basically text my initials RSB to 22828 in order to become part of our uh, uh, newsletter uh, blast that uh, Super Don sends out. Also, uh, as I mentioned, um, I'm traveling today to an event this weekend in Pittsburgh, the Journey of Healthcare Interactive Summit with leading healthcare experts. And these are good people like Dr. Tracy Straup, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Len Brankowitz, and Jamie Dorley from Nutritional Frontiers. They do a lot of great work in validating the science and the quality of supplements for health, even though they cannot make claims that these cure, tra- treat, prevent, mitigate, on them, but people are figuring it out, and doctors as well are attending from all over the world, and if you haven't gotten your ticket, it's sold out, but you can watch it online. You can buy tickets at nutritionalfrontiers.com, linked up as well in the show notes. Also, want to say another upcoming event uh, is going to be amazing, the Health Freedom Expo, and that'll be happening October 15th and 16th in uh, this calendar year, 2022, if you're listening in this year. And uh, Jonathan E. Morton, I will be there among many other friends that love this topic of health, freedom and healing liberty and are doing their best to provide services and products that support those efforts. And those of you who want to attend, uh, it's just a, it's a great joy. It's a reunion. It's a celebration. And we can do great things together when we come together like this. So I want to say thanks to Julie Whitman Klein and Trinity School of Natural Health as well for all of their good efforts in uh, making sure that health freedom is not lost, not erased from America, much less the rest of the world. And another great product, real quick to mention, is the Orange Guard. OrangeGuard.com, thoroughly tested, all the way up, and not a fan of the EPA, but they acknowledge this is a pesticide, yet completely safe for children and pets. You can spray it around organic agriculture. It's OMRI, O-M-R-I certified as well, uh, to be used around organic uh, agriculture without compromising it. So safe, yes, I even drank it on the air. I'm not saying you should because it tastes bad, but it's not designed to be drunk, but it's really wonderful delimiting from the orange peel. Again, creation, God knows what he's doing and uh, we can learn a lot by abiding by nature. All right, Jonathan. So we got a bunch of things that are up and coming. Do you have any other events coming up before the health freedom expo that a public can attend? Well, I am uh, speaking at a number of Republican party, uh, uh, organizations in the state of in the commonwealth of virginia Mm -hmm. Uh, so i am let's see i'm on i'm speaking before the arlington county republican committee on the 30th on uh, the 25th i'm speaking before the culpeper county republican committee all of these things are open to the public so Mm -hmm. people can come and uh, hear that i'm speaking to uh i'm actually hosting a fundraiser for a Republican congressional candidate, Hung Cow, mm. uh, who is a war hero and a... We've talked about him. We haven't got him on the show yet. I still want to. He is a unbelievable human being. His story is fantastic. He was a refugee from Saigon when Vietnam collapsed to the communists. He, he fled as a child uh, on one of the last helicopters to leave Saigon. Wow. Came to this country... Um, his parents subsequently came to this country, uh, also from Vietnam, and he has spent his whole uh, life dedicated to liberty and to mm-hmm. freeing people from the horrors of communism. He was a brilliant student. He went to uh, a, a Thomas Jefferson, which is a, a, a school here in Virginia that had, until the, the socialists destroyed it uh, in the education system, 
Hmm. Uh, it was for exceptional children. Hmm. And he did extraordinarily well in the sciences. He then went on uh, to the military academy and uh, graduated and then got a master's degree in uh, engineering through the same academy and then became a Navy SEAL. He wow. fought in combat in uh, Somalia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He was in the Navy uh, SEAL program for 27 years, I believe, uh, and won the Bronze Star. And he's and running for what in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia? He's running for Congress in the Virginia Congressional District Number 10, and he is uh, a re- going against a real socialist, a woman named Jennifer Wexton, who has uh, voted for every spending and taxing bill that she's ever seen. How is that congressional district leaning in terms of Democrat versus Republican right now? Leaning Democrat. It was solid Democrat, but Hung Kao has succeeded in moving it to lean Democrat. Mm. And I believe there's a distinct possibility he's going to win. In fact, I think he, he may well win because the dissatisfaction with inflation and with uh, the uh, basic destruction of everything in the energy industry and the cost of, of fuel is even affecting bureaucrats in Northern Virginia. And that's the area we're talking about. So I think uh, we saw in Northern Virginia a shift for Governor Yunkin Mm -hmm. in large measure because of the education issues where they're making education into into indoctrination. And those same issues are ones that Hung Kao has championed against uh, the indoctrination of kids and in favor of uh, protecting freedom of speech and protecting uh, children against sexual abuse by having teachers te- uh, teach them yeah. that their genders are fluid and so on. All of that uh, he's attacked. And I, so anyway, I think he's a fantastic human being, the mm-hmm. utmost integrity, and I'm 100% behind him. So I'm, I'm having a fundraiser on September 1st at my place in uh, Virginia. Wow. No, I, I would, if I was in the neighborhood, you know, I'd be there for that. And, and I de- definitely would love to inter- interview just on his story alone. It's just fascinating. And I think the, the best, uh, the best evidence that uh, he may win is, is, is that democratic candidate that's full on socialism and has probably no idea why inflation is actually happening. Right. And of course her answer to inflation is just to mimic the Biden proposition, which is, to add fuel to the fire, and that is more spending, yeah, more, exactly. more, more, more spending. Mm-hmm. They're all for Build Back Better. They want the $3.4 or $3.8 trillion version of it. Uh, she endorsed it right off the bat. She's all endorsed all the spending. Mm-hmm. She's just uh, real. And not only that, she's fully for CRT in the public schools and uh, this gender nonsense where they tell kids, that your birth gender is not your gender necessarily. Yeah, I think there are even a lot of Democrats that are saying, no, I didn't sign on for that. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. But she has. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that might be her doom as a political candidate, even in a Democrat-leaning district. Well, I'll be fascinated to follow that and, again, uh, get him on the show as well. Now, we only have a few minutes left here, Jonathan, before we have to wrap up, and another great hour of discussion um, any number of things, if you want to uh, chime in, I know they're always requiring way more time than we have to discuss, including uh, Pelosi going to uh, um, where does she go there? I think it's called uh, yeah, Hong Kong. Right. And they're Taiwan. not Taiwan. Oh, it's Taiwan. Yeah, that's it. That's the controversy. China wants Taiwan, doesn't want anybody to support its independence, of course. And yet China is so intricately linked 
to Biden and the Biden family? It's like, is she positioning herself to replace Biden as old as she is? Well, I think this is a situation where she had a, a dispute with Biden. Hmm. Uh, she wanted Biden to stand up to Xi Jinping. You know, her prior history on uh, communist China has been one that is uh, um, very rarely had she taken a, a pro uh, commie position when it comes to China. That is not to say that domestically she hasn't endorsed a communist program through the Democratic Party. She has, but she wants to be the leader of it. She doesn't want mm -hmm. Xi Jinping to be the leader of America's Communist Party. She mm -hmm. wants to be the leader of it. And when it comes to this trip, she didn't want us to suffer the consequences of further uh, international debacles created by virtue of weakness from Biden. So she wanted him to stand up to Xi Jinping when it came to this trip to uh, Taiwan. Instead, Biden didn't do that. And in fact, he stated uh, through his, uh, uh, he stated directly that he had, he thought that it, his military advisors had recommended against her mm. visit to Taiwan. Well, this infuriated her because she didn't want, first of all, she doesn't want the Biden administration White House deciding her itinerary. But secondarily, she also doesn't want to appear herself to be backing down from the challenge mm -hmm. presented by Xi Jinping. So this is more about ego. This is more yeah. about her own position in the Democratic Party. It's not a pro-American thing. It's more a pro-Nancy Pelosi thing. Well, I, I would have, if she had gone Biden's route and said, no, I mean, if I had my druthers, I would have. I would have tied her up, thrown her on a C-130 and and brought the 82nd Airborne into Taiwan to deposit her there. Because <laughs> if we if we if we allow Xi Jinping by just verbal threat mm. to determine yeah. whether or not we can fly to different places in the yeah. world, we're yeah. in big, 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 big trouble. Because they'll take full advantage of that. Of course. So she had to go. Biden's mm. an idiot suggesting that she not go. But uh, she had to go. And then um, I think she did the right thing, actually, when she said upon her arrival that there is this uh, global struggle going on between authoritarianism and. and yeah, democracy. as much as she disconnects from that when she comes home, exactly. we'll give her props for that statement. Jonathan E. Moore, intellectual integrity, as always, my brother, I love you, appreciate you so much. And thanks for cranking out another Sacred Fire Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. You bet, Robert. Remember, the power to heal, even politically, is yours. Robert Scott, the Robert Scott Bell Show. This hour of the Robert Scott Bell Show brought to you by our good friends at Orange Guard, orangeguard.com. Tor McPartland, great guy. Went up all the way through the EPA, got his delimiting from orange peel, approved as an EPA regulated pesticide, but it's so safe I drank it on the air. <laughs> safe around your kids, your pets. You're not going to harm anybody, but the little buggers that you don't want around the house. Orange Guard, make it smell like oranges too. Use it around the greenhouse. Safe, OMRI certified for organic agriculture. And if you want to keep plugged into the newsletter, Super Don, my humble and lovable producer sends out, just text RSB, my initials, to 22828. 
RSB to 22828. We'll keep you plugged in on all the goings on regarding health, freedom, and healing liberty and more, as you heard with the Sacred Fire of Liberty Hour with Jonathan E. Mord. Thank you all for being here two hours a day, six days a week, or any fraction thereof. I am honored to introduce you for the first time on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We've been wanting to interview her since the whole thing broke in the last couple of years with America's Frontline Doctors. We've had some of them on, but right now we're going to welcome you to the show, Dr. Simone Gold. Thanks for being here. It's about time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's not like you've been busy doing anything, of course. I know. I've just been chilling, sitting back, lying on the beach. Yeah, well, you're actually looking great considering the stories that are out there. And we actually have websites linked up in the show notes today, including freedoctorgold.org, talking about the loss of equal protection and the atrocity, I believe, that is your conviction. I think they've they've sentenced you to serve, what, 60 days or is it suspended? What's going on there? Yes, it's quite unbelievable to take a person who's never been involved in the criminal justice system before with no hint of violence, no allegation of violence. Uh, My whole lifetime has been dedicated to helping humanity and to be, I took a plea on a on a nonviolent misdemeanor trespass charge, fully expecting the judge um, perhaps to give community service. And instead, he ordered 60 days in federal prison. This is clearly a vindictive, uh, I believe, uh, sentence to say, hey, see what we can do. Look at us. We're the powerful ones. You you doctors think you could speak out or you Americans think you can actually protest nonviolently. Uh, of course, they call that whole thing an insurrection. Last hour, we talked with Jonathan Emord about the more revelations surrounding that. All of the opportunities uh, uh, Pelosi and others in the Democrat Party had to stop this from ever happening, and they facilitated it like they wanted it clearly to happen, to use it for political gain, as we've seen. You know, for me, the, for me, the, the frustrating part was that the government, you know, I'm a lawyer as well, and the government is not permitted to overcharge on a crime. They're not permitted to charge you with crime for which they don't have proof and evidence. But that's what they're doing to myself. And they did that to really, I think, all the January 6th defendants and haven't gone through every case. But they overcharged so aggressively that you're really forced in this terrible position of accepting a plea deal. And for me, the worst part about accepting a plea deal was not having a day in court to challenge the the lies and the fallacies and the things that the media does not report. For example, on my side, on the east side of the building, we we were not experiencing violence. I mean, I saw videos like other people saw where there were little pockets of people, perhaps they were Antifa that sneak snuck in or things like that. But on the east side of the building where I was, it was moms and grandparents with baby carriages. It was people literally singing Kumbaya, people praying, people singing, people happy and joyful. And I really didn't have an opportunity to say that because I was literally overcharged with a 20 year felony. So if anybody doubts that this is dangerous stuff, just hear that story. Yeah, it, that is a stunning uh, description as, as we've seen. We've heard people that were interacting. In fact, I interviewed uh, my buddy Ty, who was there that day walking down the street with the chaos that was ensuing. But to find out how much it was actually facilitated into existence by those that would use it opportunistically in this way to attack freedom of speech, for instance, and you as a physician have done extraordinary work in bringing light to, hey, there are successful treatments that are working to protect people from having to go into hospitals that we've now seen are the overt killing fields of modern warfare, even if there's no declaration of war on the people who simply go there thinking that they have no other opportunity or choice to live, and then they end up dying because of the protocols there. You know, I, I, I'll i just say one more, one, one or two more words about the 
the overcharging because it's relevant to what you're saying is that this is probably the only time in the past two and a half years that I feel like I've been silenced because I was put in a position that I couldn't speak the truth because the government acted illegally with overcharging. Again, as a lawyer, you are not allowed, the government side, the prosecution side is not allowed to charge for crimes for which there's not the evidence. There's certain elements of each crime. So they ended up charging me with a felony obstruction, which has five elements of which I committed none. They had no evidence of that. That's why they offered a plea deal and a misdemeanor trespass. But in overcharging with a felony obstruction that carries 20 years, and not permitting people to change jurisdictions because I was watching other defendants and they have not granted change in venue, putting me in front of a DC jury that I, I understand they, they, they run about an 80% um, rate of thinking all January 6th defendants should be convicted. They've stacked the deck against me and it's really the first time I have allowed myself to be silenced. And I just want people to know how dangerous the situation it is. Mm. As you mentioned, I came to be known because I was speaking out for truthful um, medical care. I mean, that's what I speak about. I happen to not have been speaking about Biden or Trump or the election. You know, free speech is good. Everyone ought to be able to say it as they wish, but it happens to not be my public lane. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, they did what they could to silence me. Yeah, and and coming back again, as we're bouncing through these topics, and I think they're very important to consider all of that, one of the things that occurs to me is that the government seemingly has unlimited funds to prosecute people, and if they... Uh, charge them with crimes, like you said, just throw everything, even if there's no evidence for it, it becomes impossible for only the the most, except for those the most wealthy among us to afford a defense against an unlimited attack that you would have to fight, as you pointed out as well, within a jurisdiction that is uh, heavily biased in favor of the government's view of what occurred there or a significant portion of who's controlling the government's view of what happened on January 6th. So uh, this is also something that we've seen in terms of injustice of government or prosecutors, aggressive prosecutors going after people so that they get a plea deal and that it looks good on their record, specifically like a prosecutor's record, that they got another conviction, even if it's down to a plea. And I think it's a strategy that's been used by government on all levels. And you've seen it now at the highest level. Exactly right. Um, And as much as they're always wanting to do that because it's easier for them and they look like they're stacking wins, as you've suggested, I think they're really more focused on it with January 6th, because once you go to trial, you get a different level of discovery against the government. Mm. So they're very, very anxious to force people to take pleas more than even usual. Mm. It's really, you know, it's really scary stuff. The, the, the fact that they were suppressing early treatment options, the fact they were letting people take lethal treatments with drugs like remdesivir when there's safe drugs like ivermectin that work is bad enough. But to watch the collapse of our constitutional freedoms, you know, right to a speedy trial, right to the fact that the prosecution and the judge are not in cahoots, right Mm -hmm. to the fact that the prosecution is required to be an officer of the court, meaning they must uphold the law. In other words, the defense side is permitted to act as aggressively as possible, truthfully, but as aggressively as possible to defend the defendant. The defense has only one job, but prosecution in our system of law has two jobs. It's to prosecute the case, but it's also to be an officer of the court, to only allow legal, lawful, um, behaviors and the government is acting shamefully. The government is overcharging crimes for which they don't have evidence and, and they're controlling the evidence. So I'm going to write about this because during my time in incarceration, I'm going to do this thing that, you know, a lot of people like myself who've been thrown into jail do, and I'm going to write a book. You'll have an opportunity to read it early next year. And it's, it's going to be exactly about selective prosecution. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, well, that's a, another timely uh, a book that I will be happy to get you back on to promote and talk about, because uh, as I said, it, justice is something that's seemingly lost to the average folks in America uh, in a uh, world where uh, global corporations, multinational corporations that have no allegiance to any nation or state have run roughshod over not only the people, but the government. They now control the, what's known as the bureaucratic oligarchy. Many of the, the agencies like FDA, uh, CDC in its own right. NIH has become a political organization under Fauci, as you know, for a long time, decades, if you've read uh, The Real Anthony Fauci by Bobby Kennedy Jr. I mean, it's stunning. The things I've been covering in 23 years of this broadcast as well about Fauci's career long before there was COVID. This guy was, in my opinion, a criminal almost from day one as he established this fiefdom and uh, has, has resulted in the deaths of millions and millions of Americans and people around the world. And I don't believe I'm stating that too, too, too strongly. And yet, it's people like you and others that were happened to be around January 6th at the Capitol that are considered criminals and have to be persecuted to beyond the fullest extent of the law. Right. Um, you're exactly right to be afraid of the bureaucratic state. That's what's coming. That's what's here. And that's what's coming. This unelected bureaucratic state is controlling people. Even in my particular situation, I was subjected to tremendous amount of extrajudicial punishment at the hands of a bureaucratic state. The FBI went after me. Um, it, in an extrajudicial way. They've done things to me that were outside the purview of the court. Now, our system is set up for three branches of government, right? So there's the judicial, which is supposed to mete out the, the, the punishment, the legislative that crafts the laws, and the executive branch, which is sort of like the arm. So, so a wee, easy way to understand this is the, the legislative branch writes the law, if somebody breaks the law, which is what the government alleged, then the police come to arrest you. The police is part of the executive branch. And then in the jury system, in the judicial system, you know, innocence or guilt is it's kind of legally established. But what we have now is the executive branch has so many agencies under it that they themselves have an enormous amount of power. And this is unelected, unelected power. So the FDA, the FDA, the NIH, the CDC, they've corrupted medicine beyond recognition. And the FBI, you know, it's for decades, it's been a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's now just becoming evident to the American people what a huge problem it is. So I believe the system's actually not fixable. You know, and so my lane is medical. My lane is health. And so I absolutely intend, and what I've been working on for, for, for many, many months now, is bringing alternative type of system to the American people that they can access in terms of medical. So um, stay tuned for that. That's very, very fun and exciting and positive development. Well, Dr. Gold, this is something I'm seeing occurring in every state of the nation right now. I've been interacting with physicians. I'm a, I'm a homeopathic doctor, so I've been uh, not invited to any of the tables of discussion. As you know, in America, we've got a division in terms of a monopoly on healing and healthcare to one class of men and women and uh, denying equal access, if you will, to all others. That was a a prophetic uh, prediction, if you will, by one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and so here we are established monopoly that within that monopoly, doctors such as you with integrity have spoken up and said, hey, there's a problem here. We need to have freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, freedom to innovate in terms of what they call standard of care, which they don't define, except they, they know it when they don't see it because their handlers say that's not it. And then they go after the doctors who actually have zero death rates among the COVID people coming to them, like, like you and others that we've reported on and had on this show. And so now I'm seeing allopathic physicians meeting with nurses and homeopaths and naturopaths and herbalists and chiropractors coming together in the spirit of collegiality to do just what you're describing, establish a parallel or a separate system that cannot be 
made from within this corrupt decaying system, but will will rise up out of those ashes or even before it's fully in ashes to make accessible the healing and health care that I think the people deserve and desire, as opposed to enter into a one size fits all approach of collectivist, reductionist, socialist type medicine. Listen, there's some really basic economic things that went wrong to create the mess that we're in now with our healthcare system. There's, there's two huge ones that I can think of. One is that the patient no longer just pays the doctor, right? So it's no longer just a capitalist endeavor where, you know, you find a doctor, you believe the doctor, you pay the doctor, and you have control over the doctor because you have that relationship where you're paying the doctor. And I don't mean to be too crass about it, but honestly, that's what works in every other area of life where you have that direct relationship. If you go to the hardware store, you know the guy and, and he's doing a good job and the and the, the gadgets he gives you work, then you go back to him, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. We need so hardware insurance. We need a third party to intervene when we go to the hardware store so we get the best. Yeah, you know, see how exactly. Yeah. So, so that's one big thing is that we're no longer there. You know, for decades now, it's not been the doctor-patient relationship where the patient is really the yeah. boss over the doctor, and that's even more true. There's more elements to that than just the insurance as the middleman. It's also the fact that doctors themselves are no longer small business owners. My father is a doctor in his day. I, I'm guessing lot, not even 5% of doctors were employees. I mean, it was very rare in my dad's day for a doctor to be an employee. It was very uncommon. So at the start of lockdowns, 62% uh, of doctors were employees, which I think is tragic. But at the end of lockdowns, I'm from California, so I call it lockdowns, not COVID. Mm -hmm. But the end of California, at the end of lockdowns, about 75% of doctors were now employees. So they're employees of large hospital corporations or other types of corporations. But what does that mean? That means when your employer has a goal that's different than you, the patient, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. So if there's no conflict, that's fine. It'll be okay. But you don't know when a conflict will arise. And we saw this terribly, terribly met in COVID times. When a Medicare patient was admitted to the hospital with, with a serious COVID, and they were or medium, medium or serious, and they got pretty ill. Medicare and government payments were larger if the patient went on remdesivir and didn't go on ivermectin. Now that's two completely different kinds of corruption. One is just the financial incentive to use a drug that's bad for you. That's remdesivir. We know remdesivir is bad for you. 35% of people who go on it die. It was a failed Ebola drug. It causes lit, you know, kidney failure. It's, it's not a good drug. If there was absolutely no alternative or you were really death's door, your risk of death was very high, it would be one thing. But as you well know, the CDC statistics themselves bear out the fact that COVID is not nearly as lethal as, as remdesivir is, quite frankly. But then the second level of corruption is that if you went on remdesivir as a hospitalized patient, that financial incentive didn't exist unless you also were not put on ivermectin. In other words, the government incentivize not using a cheap, safe, generic drug. You have to ask yourself why that is. And if you're a Medicare recipient, and again, this is just one example. If you're a Medicare recipient, how safe do you feel upon hearing my words? Now, if you were hiring the doctor yourself and paying the doctor yourself and you had a direct relationship with your doctor, I can assure you that your doctor's not going to use protocols that are dangerous for you. Well, that's a very, very important point in terms of the, the top-down scenario. And it also it expands to... Um, my beef with licensure as a, as a, as a controlling factor in supposedly to protect the public when really it protects an economic monopoly and whoever controls that controls the doctors as well. We, as by we the way, out. Robert, yeah. 
Antigen, so we saw that everywhere. So mm -hmm. of course, doctor's licenses were at risk, but think yeah. about it, like the restaurant license licenses were at risk or they yep. would have opened. The small businesses, you know, Ian Smith up in New Jersey, he owns a gym, you know, his license were threatened. They kept threatening business licenses. Mm -hmm. We really got to see that the concept of licensure is being weaponized by the state and perhaps, you know, the federal government later to shut down dissent, to shut down disagreeing right. voices. Well said. I mean, that's the point. It's always been that. It just hasn't had to play out so overtly until now. But yes, this is an idea. I wish physicians would revolt against licensure and embrace the concept of uh, board certification, private certifications, because we can establish qualifications without licensure. Again, licensure is about economic monopolies, but even more so the control of those who are engaged in the practice of whatever is licensed. As the doctors found out, even if you weren't in a hospital setting and you were forced in or incentivized to do things that are killing patients, those outside of that were threatened with loss of licensure or fines, et cetera under that system and you pointed out to expand that to all businesses that is the risk when you ask permission of the government to do something that they consider otherwise would be illegal now you're subject to the whims of bureaucrats that don't couldn't even run a, a business yours or couldn't be a doctor at all yet they're directing and, and and telling us all how we must live our lives or how doctors must do their jobs so we saw this it really across all industries. Of course, medicine is mine, but we also saw this with the pharmaceutical company, right? The pharmaceutical companies, they they were being kind of threatened by the pharmaceutical boards. So we have this crazy situation now where things that humans need that are almost as basic as food, right? You know, life-saving kinds of medicines or over-the-counter medicines, even these are, are potentially going to be restricted. So mm -hmm. What I can say is the last two and a half years has woken up so many people, by the way, myself included, that there's really an amazing opportunity. In fact, I'm super optimistic about what can come, come of this, as you said, from the ashes. I'm super optimistic. We're starting, an, uh, me, it's mine, but with a whole team, we're starting a new way forward. I don't know if you're even familiar with it, but it's gold care. It's not health care. It's gold care. So health care is out and gold care is in. And we are aligning not only the doctor-patient relationship, but we're also putting together dietitians, naturopaths, functional physicians. We're putting together those people with traditional doctors. We're not throwing anything out, but we're not going to oversell you on the illness model if that's not what you need. Most people's medical needs are kind of ordinary and basic lifestyle, better lifestyle decisions, right? It's eating less, it's exercising more. It's not like all the medications that or surgeries or procedures or tests that they're forcing on people or suggesting to people. You know, when you remove the financial breaks, right? Because you've you've the, from the patient's perspective, they're paying an insurance company. So then when their doctor tells them that they need something, they're like, well, I've already paid. So sure, let me go ahead and get that. And they don't really know. We've removed all of that. We have direct doctor-patient relationship, and we are not incentivizing doctors or patients to go down the illness model, but rather to go down the wellness model. Right. It's well, so exciting. We have it linked up, by the way, in the show notes. Uh, Super Don's been showing that up on screen for those of you watching live. If you're listening later to the podcast on the places we haven't been banned, yes, there are places that haven't banned us yet. <laughs> <laughs> you can also catch that and come on over to robertscatbell.com. Today's show notes have available July 14th, 2022. We have the link to goldcare.com, and that's a great innovation, uh, Dr. Gold, because as I said, I've been discussing with physicians of all kinds all around the country, meeting regularly with it within the area I am in a great group of people 
that are working together to establish exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if there's going to be a one size fits all approach. I'm looking for mm -hmm. everybody to innovate. Let's find out what works the exactly. best. And in a free market, it'll be obvious. But in a controlled and managed market like we have in a monopoly system, the ensuing disaster is inevitable. And we're seeing, you know, 100 plus years later after the Flexner Report of 1910, restricted education in a medical school yeah. setting to that which was only teaching doctors to prescribe toxic poisons that were approved by the, I call them the fear and death administration, despite the fact that nobody actually genuinely suffers from a drug deficiency disease. Uh, yeah. We have got to an absurd level of where doctors can't be doctors. My uncle was a medical doctor. God rest his soul. He's no longer with us. He warned me, even though he knew I wanted to be, grow up to become a doctor, not to become a medical doctor because he saw the bureaucracy, the red tape, the third party controls, whether it be government or otherwise, devastating the doctor who went in for all the right reasons. And he knew my spirit and he said, you're going to be miserable. And I learned through 19 years of being the recipient of medical treatment that I would not be happy doing to others what they did to me. Now, I wasn't aware that there were other forms of medicine because I'm a typical American. I never even heard the word homeopathy until I was 24 years of age. Come to find out it was a mainstay of uh, the uh, curricula at Emory University Medical School where I went to school uh, up until 1949, it lasted well past the Flexner report. Cause in the South, they're like, they couldn't get everywhere. But the idea that again, there's a one size fits all, even in homeopathy is wrong. There's got to be a patient centered. And I say this not in a political sense, but in a sense where you look at the individual and say, what does that individual need? They don't need the same thing as this person or this person, but our system has been designed to say, everybody needs remdesivir that comes to a hospital in the worst case scenario of what we've seen manifest and the resulting inevitable death, because you know, if it destroys kidneys, how do you live without kidneys? There are not enough dialysis machines, dialysis machines to go around anyway. Right. So it's good that a lot of those people died, right? I mean, that was, that seems like it was the motive. Right. Instead no, of rationing definitely. care, we, yeah, again, this is population <laughs> reductionist level uh, uh, intention at this point. You can't, how does a doctor not know? How does a, a nurse not know? That's why I respect so much the doctors and nurses that are willing to speak out at risk to their careers. But I'm also calling out, as many doctors are, the ones that are remaining complicit in, in their silence. There's no excuse when people are dying at that point. Why did you go into medicine if you're going to turn your head while people are being killed by protocols in your well, profession? I, I mean, I, I could share a little insight in my experience. You know, I've been living in California for a long time. Thankfully, I fled the communist nation of California recently. Mm -hmm. But during lockdowns, they really did institute almost like a tiered stage approach to removing compassion from the healthcare worker. I don't know that people really quite realize this, but when they started saying that you had to wear masks all the time, they started saying you couldn't visit your loved ones. Over a period of a, a very short time, one to three months, I'd say, my own nurses in my own hospital really were forced to kind of squelch their own compassionate natures because they were told that they would be fired if they allowed in a relative of somebody who was dying or very, very ill. And I remember thinking, well, this has to have an effect on the nurse's psyche, right? That they're being put in this position of being actually cruel. So it's a very interesting sociological phenomenon, how to teach people not to care by putting their own self-interest ahead of, you know, pitting their, two of their own self-interest. You go into nursing, to care for people, but you also have to pay your own bills. And for the first time in my lifetime, for sure, they were pitting against each other, the nurses or the doctor's desire to help against the nurses or doctor's desire to just kind of, you know, live their life, you know, without bankrupting themselves. 
I never had seen that before. I mean, we had patients coming in and we weren't allowed to let in their spouses of 50 years. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, so in addition to the tragedy for the patients in front of me, the tragedy of teaching our healthcare doctors and nurses to go along with mm -hmm. um, cruel policies. Yeah. Yeah, That's well, going to have reverberations forever. Yeah, your, in, in other words, your compassion kills your own career. Your compassion kills Correct. your own livelihood. And yet the compassion you would have for patients in their care is something that you would normally want to embrace and, and manifest in your own life. And now they said, no, no that's going to kill you. So now they had so to make a decision. Either, you either encourage doctors and nurses like that to leave the practice of medicine or nursing, or you taught them to tamponade down the their compassion both are terrible for patients just terrible yeah. for patients well in dr gold we've seen you know on this show of course it's been integrative since the beginning and i've had many many great physicians that are brilliant and that that they have embraced let's say more holistic and integrative protocols long before there was covid and yet they faced this kind of persecution on more of an isolated case scenario where they were threatened with loss of licensure some some did lose their licenses otherwise because they weren't killing patients they were actually healing them in ways unapproved by uh, i call the bureaucratic oligarchy in this case much less licensing boards and so this has grown and grown and grown to where now it's hard uh, to find a doctor that's not aware of the danger of the system that they've stepped into based on the control, not from uh, those who would actually encourage you to innovate and do the right thing, but from those who want to limit and restrict innovation because that would make them look bad. And of course, certain profit centers would be reduced significantly. Let's just say if we didn't have to engage in uh, cardiac bypass surgeries, which is a multi-million billion dollar industry, which started in you know the mid early, well, mid 20th century, uh, when they uh, ba basically abandoned a legitimate medical treatment known as chelation therapy for lead poisoning, and they uh, they found that it also happened to clear arteries. But the moment doctors realized that and started utilizing it that way, those doctors were immediately rendered as quacks so in, among I, I their profession. I will say that at goldcare.com, which is starting mm -hmm. with national telemedicine, then we'll expand outward from there. We mm -hmm. are actually looking at all aspects of medical care. We've taken the first, the most common, let's say 50 diagnoses, that patients come to a doctor with. And we've actually gone through it to see what works from the old and what doesn't work because we mm -hmm. don't believe really most of what we read anymore. You know, I was a board certified emergency doctor for years. I was well aware that Lipitor, an anti-cholesterol or anti-lipid agent mm -hmm. um, was like the most prescribed drug. I think it's Pfizer it was just the, I think it's the biggest moneymaker for Pfizer. And I didn't really give it a second thought. And then, you know, I started looking at all of these assumptions that we've made, all of them. Mm -hmm. And so many of them are false. For example, Dr. Peter McCullough just tweeted out that Prevnar, you know, the pneumococcal vaccine mm -hmm. is just worthless. It's just yeah. worthless. So, and in my own career, you know, I always had to take an influenza shot, which I thought was ridiculous because I knew it didn't work. And here's the reason how I knew it didn't work because everyone I ever admitted into the hospital with influenza had taken the influenza shot. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was literally like, you, were, you would have to deny your own eyes and experience to yeah. see what those of us in, in so what we call new or alternative media were pointing out even going to things like the Cochrane collaboration, which used to be admired. And then when they started coming out against flu shots and other things, suddenly they were abandoned and made, oh, if you if you reference the Cochrane connection, you will be deplatformed on Twitter. I mean, I saw that happen. It was just amazing. The, the sound science that they would bring, but it, it went against the narrative of, you know, the sheeple must accept their shots. Yeah. And by the way, and you know, people on the other side like to label me as this anti-vax person. It's kind of funny because really my lane is about free speech. I just want people to have the information. I want people to make up their own mind. 
you know, I happened to have taken shots all of my career. My children took shots. I never really thought about it until the whole COVID thing. I'm a little mm -hmm. embarrassed to say that, but it was just kind of one of those things you were taught and you went through. I'm encouraged that Peter McCullough said kind of the same thing. We didn't really think deeply about these things. Mm -hmm. But my lane is making sure that we have the robust free speech so that people can make up their own mind. And just to go back mm -hmm. to January 6th, like literally I was there giving a speech on health freedom, on the things that people yeah. needed to know. And the government was so focused on silencing me in particular that they ended up putting me on a poster of, you know, FBI most wanted. I mean, it was ludicrous. I mean, it's, it, I don't know how you can say that with a straight face. Mm -hmm. And the judge in my trial, who, by the way, I had the misfortune of drawing the Sussman judge, that judge was so angry. Mm -hmm. Just like you could see it, you could feel it, you the could rage. hear it. He was yeah. so angry. He was filled with rage and fury at America's frontline doctors. It's highly abnormal why he should even care. He doesn't have to agree. I'm not forcing it on him. No, anyone. he should have recused himself based on he that. He should have rage recused himself. He was furious. Yeah, yeah. He was furious. And, and Dr. Gold, again, I want to acknowledge what you said. This is a show fundamentally about health freedom. I may have perspectives as a homeopath that differ from uh, some allopaths, but uh, we're coming closer and closer in alignment overall. And Peter McCullough as well, who I've uh, shared the stage with a number of times now, and he's been on this show. Uh, and he acknowledges the things they didn't learn. You didn't learn in medical school that I learned in a different way. And Correct. it doesn't mean one is mutually exclusive, but it's like we all have blind spots. And See, yet fundamentally, yeah. if I disagree with a particular medical treatment, I'm not here to say the government needs to stop you from doing it or on and on. I want the freedom to communicate as you are freedom of speech so that we can make informed decisions. And if we are at least honored by the choice is ours or in conjunction with a doctor, a chosen healthcare provider, who could ask for anything more? That's my mind where, where we need to be. It isn't about forcing things, mandating things, stopping things. It's about the freedom to choose. Is that not our fundamental agreement? Right. So one of the things that worries me a lot, and I bet it worries you, is that while the government has had massive control over prescription drugs, they are making some noises about controlling over-the-counter drugs. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably a big concern to your listeners, like drugs like NAC, you know, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are over the counter in much of the world. So people in America, really, we really need to start waking up to the fact that they, they claim that this is about safety, for example, but it's clearly not because they keep trying to move the control to anything that they can control. Yeah. And, I, and I will say, um, I do think that the reason there's been dispute maybe between homeopaths and naturopaths and traditionally allopath doctors in the past is we we literally were not exposed to the same things. You might have been exposed to what I was exposed to, but I can tell you for sure we had no training essentially on nutrition or vaccines right. or vitamins, like none. I mean, my education has been over the past two and a half years. It's actually very, very shameful. Yeah. It's shameful that I should have gone all the way through medical school and not have been alerted to the important things like vitamin D or even melatonin, just like really basic things. It's actually shameful. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. 
Discover alcohol freedom with zero zilch zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Yeah, and that's the point where I see the positive outcome of a tragic circumstance of this COVID craziness, lockdowns, etc., is that the openness, it takes a lot of hardship and intense experiences to break the cycle of, of mind control, if you will, even though they've tried to use mind control against us. But there's a point where they push too hard, where it's woken up what I call the medical or allopathic profession, nurses and doctors. And I've, I've never seen the spirit of collegiality in my years, uh, decades of doing this. Dr. Gold, where we're coming together. And like you said, Peter McCullough, you, you know, is a kind man. He's so sweet as a, just like I'm saying, Dr. McCullough, you're too nice, right? I tell him that. But the, the reality is he's self-effacing now. He's acknowledging what you're saying. Look, we didn't learn this stuff. We all need to catch up or we need to rely on one another when we have areas of deficit and others have areas of expertise. We don't dismiss based on biases, but say, hey, is this a gap in my knowledge? Yes, let's talk about it. And that's what I see positive happening here, where we can once again come together in the spirit of cooperation, not dominance and monopoly. That's exactly what I'm doing at Gold Care. I really am so excited and proud of it because we really are putting together naturopaths and traditional doctors. I think they both have a lot to value. I mean, a traditional doctor like myself, an emergency doctor, I think we're excellent at trauma, at orthopedics. Like we're fabulous yeah. at that. But we're not great at the chronic things that that are bringing down the American people. I mean, obesity, right, and depression, and fatigue, and hormone imbalance, and things like that. We're terrible. <laughs> we're terrible at that. So we come at it, Gold Care, by putting the two together. Like we don't have any prejudice. So we, I, I'm so excited. I don't think this has ever been done in American medicine before. So not not since before the you know the the, the yeah. administrative state right of course right. there was some semblance of freedom of course everybody was competing with one another and if we go back to the history of medicine one of the seminal books that I read uh, by Harris Coulter Divided Legacy shared the story that is unwritten in most other areas about the history of medicine in America and we we grew up like I did in the 20th century primarily and thought the only medicine there is is modern medicine. I was growing up, my dad was a pharmaceutical guy, so I didn't know. And then come to find out that they erased history and hardly had to rewrite it as long as they erased it's the embarrassing. And then It's we embarrassing. Become, and and yeah. by the way, really all meds kind of derive from natural products to the beginning. Of course, with. originally. I mean, in the world, yeah. <laughs> so going back to nature is not a, a step backwards, in fact. It's an acknowledgement that God created this universe with all of the medicines that we could ever need or want, and that it's man's arrogance that screws it up by creating synthetic toxic poisons and then expecting no negative consequences to occur, except that we have a monopoly on synthetic toxic poisons to address those synthetic toxic poisons to create 10 other diseases where there may have only been one or two or none. Yeah. I just want to say that reminded me of the fact that, you know, Fauci gets the shot, gets the shot, gets the shot, gets COVID, that gets COVID again, then he takes Paxlovid, then he gets COVID worse. And he talks about there being a rebound for Paxlovid, but he, but he literally still says that the vaccine is good. I, I, I it, it's, it's really hard to process. I just think we're living sort of like through the Salem witch trials. I, I think people can't see clearly. I don't know. Yeah, don't well, know. the M the M in his MD degree means moron as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because, yeah. yeah, how do you not see that unless you're paid very well not to see it? And then, of course, there's yeah. an economic incentive that we see. Conflicts of interest used to matter in terms of peer-reviewed medical literature as well. All of these things that they've come out with government or industry-sponsored data surrounding the COVID jabs, which don't meet the statutory definition of a vaccine anyway. There's some suits going on about that as well. mRNA injection, that's not a vaccine, but 
hey, you know, there are legal definitions, statutory and otherwise, but we've got to come back to the standpoint that the government has no business restricting our freedom based on the acceptance of right. an experimental so injectable product. That's always been my lane. So we didn't get into vaccines as much as people uh, pretend that's what we got into. There were other organizations to do that. There were finer scientists than myself doing that. Our lane was to protect our constitutional freedom, our right to decide, mm -hmm. you know, my body, my choice, your inalienable right just to control your body. That, yeah. That's been our lane. We fought that in the courts. I do, I know that from all of the lawsuits that we threw at the system, the CDC and the NIH and the Department of Defense and various universities, we threw sand into the gears. And because this particular shot was so ineffective and, and not safe, I knew mm -hmm. that if we could just slow the process, yeah. you know, it, it would out itself. And that's really exactly what happened. And I'm so grateful. And I'm, I'm really just so great. The thing was so ineffective and unsafe that it did itself in as long as we had the time to do that. So we, we got that time really through all the lawsuits. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, I'm sad for all those who have suffered and have lost loved ones. I've had friends that have been killed by the hospital protocols. Not literally, I mean, literally, yeah. not figuratively, really. And there are suits going on right now. There are stories after stories. Scott Shara has become my friend, his daughter, Grace, who was a young adult, but, uh, you know, was born uh, with, uh, uh, well, we call the situation, those are the people that would have been aborted in previous terms under Margaret Sanger's definition or Nazi Germany. It's like, and they want to really establish that anybody is not just perfect. Whatever that perfection is, uh, should be eliminated. Uh, you know, this is another aspect of, unfortunately, Dr. Gold, the doctors themselves, whether it be a Nazi Germany scenario or the manifesting of those that are still engaged in uh, remdesivir invent procedures, killing people in hospitals. It's like this profession is not noble in that context. We, we stop. We need to stop worshiping people because they have medical degrees and recognize they're human beings. They're fallible, as all of us are. And then start looking at them on an individual basis and saying, yes, you know, certain things as you acknowledge where you're good and certain areas where you're not and you don't necessarily belong unless you get training in there or you work collaboratively with those that have. And that sounds like with Gold Care what you're doing. And I'm so, so wonderfully happy to hear that. Honestly, I, you know, the last two and a half years were very difficult, but I would not have had the opportunity to, to bring forth this new endeavor. There's mm -hmm. clearly demand from the American people for something better. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to tell people is that medical care is actually not as expensive as you've been led to believe. I'm not saying that it's it, certain times it's not expensive. Cer certainly, if you have an accident, you build up $100,000 in medical expenses. That scenario exists, but that can be managed with a kind of a catastrophic policy. Correct. Yeah. But you, the American people have been both oversold purchases they don't need to so over purchasing and overpaying both mm -hmm. so that over purchasing and that overpaying stops as soon as the people have a direct relationship where they pay the provider mm -hmm. so so anyway we're going back to how my dad used to do it and i'm uh, i love that well yeah. this is a this is I love what you're saying, because this is the kind of thing I've been promoting for so long to say, look, if we got third parties out of the way and you had to interact with a doctor and a patient that used to be considered a sacred relationship yes. and that was damaged and destroyed or almost irreparably, perhaps irreparably because of the third party intervention, whether it be private or whether it be public slash government, because now they are dictating what 
the doctor would normally be responsive to the patient and vice versa. And now it corrupts that sacred relationship. And then of course there are economic incentives associated with a doctor says, well, I would prescribe this, but the insurance won't cover it. The patient says, well, I would take that, but the insurance won't cover it. So cover the what's covered. I'll take. And yet it could be completely inappropriate and even bankrupting. And people are removed from the real costs of medicine. When those things are removed, it becomes quite affordable for most people. And in the cases where it's not, there is, as you point out, catastrophic coverage, which is long since passed because there's so much thrown into that and or charity could genuinely come back into the realm where people of generous capacities would be giving and sharing in ways that we cannot do when the government is basically bankrupting us with the cost of running that oligarchy. So we're going to teach people how to get unhooked from the insurance system because just using insurance is feeding the beast. So we are that's part of our mission at Gold Care is we teach you actually how to get off the insurance system mm -hmm. um, because it's actually killing you. The Yeah, yeah. We need to get back to the primacy of the doctor-patient relationship. There's so many ways it's been threatened. You know, the insurance is one way, but now because of the COVID and the laws that happened, certain states actually have tried are trying to interfere with doctors even talking to patients straight up. Mm -hmm. So California have put forward a bill, House Bill 2098, to really threaten doctors' licenses if, if they even spoke, right? If they even spoke. So this is in litigation right now. I can't imagine that the doctor side won't win, but why would a doctor have to go to court and spend $100,000 to do, to defend their right to be able to speak in the public space? They're saying that doctors can't speak against the narrative in the public space, and then they're saying that they can't speak even in the doctor-patient relationship. So Americans really need to wake up because you very, very soon, especially in certain states, you're not really even going to be able to have a, a, a an honest conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Well, I've called for a separation of medicine and state. That might be something <laughs> bridge too far yet, yeah. but it would be lovely if the in freedom doctors and patients could interact and all doctors of all stripes and colors or whatever can hang a shingle in cooperation. And yes, the spirit of healthy competition, find out, you know, the things that work will rise to the top in a free market. Exactly. Whereas in a controlled managed market, the imbeciles end up running the asylum. And, look at, and by the look way, prices Fauci. go down in a, in a yes. capitalist system, they go down. And the, yeah. the, the greatest example is the LASIK eye surgery was considered elective and it's not covered by insurance. People mm -hmm. want to fix the vision from the nearsighted and farsighted. I actually can't yeah. remember. But um, when it came out, I think it was about $10,000 an eye. I could be right. wrong on the number, but now it's about $2,000 an eye. And that's because the market determined what a doctor yeah. would pay to do it safely. And you can check if the doctors, you know, has done a good job with that. But that is what capitalism does. Capitalism lowers the price. In freedom. Yeah. It's a free market. It. Yeah. The problem is capitalism has been corrupted to where it's capitalism or crony. Right. And yeah. So the word itself is, is, is tinged with this energy that people go, Oh, capitalism, you're one of them. I'm like, no, we're about the freedom. Free market, free, free market, market, I exactly. should say, which is free again, market. lost. Cause I get what you're saying, but I know I hear what people hear when they hear the free word. Market. Free market. I'm going to change how yeah. I say it. Yeah, no, Dr. <laughs> Simone Gold, you're doing great. I'm so glad we, we finally connected here. And when is the official date that you have to go in and serve the 60 days to write your book? <laughs> that's great and i need a little rest so i'm like i'm, I'm okay i believe it is jan uh july 26 and there's a little bit of discussion around that so i'm not 100 mm -hmm. but it will be very soon a week to two weeks from now okay. and you know i just i just ask the people listen to the story and understand that it really couldn't happen to anybody. Maybe it didn't happen to you on January 6, 2021. Mm -hmm. But the pretext of going after me so aggressively, so hard for what was widely on videotape as being entirely peaceful. And in fact, I was reading my speech on health policy that pictures all over the, 
the news and, and Washington Post even ran a story on it. But there I am reading my speech. And you're saying you can put someone like me in prison for 60 days when we see so many other examples of violence during protests where people don't even get charged. So mm -hmm. just, just use my story as caution that we're really in serious jeopardy of losing our constitutional rights in this nation. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gold, like I said, I know you'll use the time wisely. Hopefully they can shorten it when you're in there and uh, make make a little bit better scenario for you. But I understand you're going to use that time wisely for the benefit of yourself and others with this book that you're, you're telling me about, which I look forward to reading and sharing on this with this audience when you come back out or if you need to get a message out before you go in, you're welcome here anytime. I appreciate what you're doing with Gold Care as well. That was a nice discovery yeah, I, here. I, and thank you for mentioning the top of the top of our time together. But mm -hmm. FreeDrGold.org. That okay. that is a movement that was started to shed light on on the tyranny that's really taken over our judicial system. And mm -hmm. the funds raised there go towards that. They go towards lawsuits and public, almost um, like like public communications on these issues. Mm -hmm. And then GoldCare.com if you're looking for a better system for yourself. Yeah, there it is, Free Doctor Gold. We've got Thank them both you. linked up in the show notes at RobertScottBell.com. Um, Dr. Simone Golgan, welcome again. You're, you're, you're welcome here anytime. I love the, the, the discussion we've had here and, you know, the willingness to talk about your journey and the awakening that's happening. It's, it's really to all of our benefits, despite the fact that we've lost loved ones and friends in this time, that's part of life throughout history. But, uh, it makes me want to do better and better and better in the midst of this. And the opportunity has provided itself through the tragedies, through the loss that we've experienced. So, I know that good is coming out of this, Dr. Gold. Thank you. Thank All you right. so much. All right. Thank you. That's Dr. Simone Gold, America's Frontline Doctors and more. All the things she's doing with the Gold Care. Fascinating journey. Like I said, we never would have had this opportunity to come together had it not been for the craziness of COVID. So as much as I would go, yeah, that sucked. At the same time, we have to acknowledge there's a really lot of good things that are happening, including uh, physicians and, and of all kinds, backgrounds coming together, working together for the betterment of people that really need genuine health care uh, and acknowledging that there are specific places where we excel, where we don't, and that's okay. It's not something we need to cover up and pretend doesn't exist, but that's where we can come together in the spirit of cooperation, in freedom, not in coercion, not in deception, not in monopoly. And it seems to be like a basic concept that is just lost somewhere, kind of like the idea that you can poison people back to health. <laughs> you know, you talk to kids about that. They're like, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. What do you mean poison people back to health? Well, I know, I know. Even though there's a place for medicines in, in life and death scenarios to suppress certain things or for certain things to happen. But after that, get out and use it as shortly as possible to get out into more holistic ideas of nutrition and support for metabolic functions within the body. And of course, recognizing that we are energetic beings as well. It's not just about chemistry and molecules. And so great innovations in medicine are happening in the what we call the energetic healing fronts of which eh, homeopathy is there, too, even though it's inexplicable to molecular reductionists. But glad to be here with you two hours a day, six days a week as we wrap up today's show. A few more minutes to go. Super Don, uh, did we have a poll question of the day today after uh, uh, what you sent out? for the email alert remember rsv of course there's always yeah. a poll of the day in the newsletter and what what do we do what do we send out today uh let's see today yeah uh there's a study half of americans think living a healthy lifestyle would make them miserable wow what that's say an, you 
That's an interesting thing. I hope, well, look, you know me. I, my bias is like, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, although I know <laughs> there are people there in that state because they have a perception of what a healthy lifestyle is. And look, I, I, I've had a wonderful life since the age of 24 when I transitioned to organic living. And yet, I'm not saying it was all easy. There were some miserable times. I agree. And I think in that context, if you say you can temporarily have to transit through misery to get to the joy of living a healthy life. But I guess this article says plant-based BS. Half of Americans think healthy lifestyle would make them miserable. I guess they have a misunderstanding of what a healthy lifestyle is in some cases. Now, well, if, if, if their version of a healthy lifestyle is you can, you can never have a piece of a cake and never have a beer, <laughs> and maybe you de- get great joy in both of those. Right. Okay. I, I guess I know where they're coming from, but I think it's, it's a, a, it's a more, you know, it has a lot to do with perspective. Well, it has a lot to do with a few things, not just one thing, but you know, perspective is a huge part of it mm-hmm. because if you look at, you know, let's say, let's just take the eating part because healthy lifestyle is a huge umbrella. Right. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into that, but you know, mm-hmm. let's just take, you know, if you look at the picture of the article, you know, she looked very disgusted and bored with a piece of broccoli on her on her right. on her fork, right? Right. You know, so let's just take the food part of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you if you view it as taking things away, mm-hmm. that's negative, right? Yeah, of course. If you look at it as adding new things to it, then it's a positive. It's changing so your attitude about it. It is. You know, your your added your attitude. Um, well, like, for example, uh, Friday night before the uh, uh, Red Pill Expo, uh, Joni Abbott and her friend Josh, we went to a restaurant. I forget the name of it now. That's annoying. I, I mentioned it, but it was clean, organic quality food, but it was like delicious. It wasn't like I was eating. Well, Ooh, that's the other part, of right? It, you know, is yeah. that when you're trying something new, you got to figure out how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so if yeah. you're just eating a piece of broccoli, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's probably not going to be too exciting. But if you learn how to cook it and prepare it and stuff like that, make it something that's fun and that tastes good and all this stuff, right. which you can be done. Perspective is in order, that's though. I mean, I, I suffered so much as a young person that it was like for me, a healthy lifestyle is like, oh, my gosh, why would I do anything else? But if people aren't there yet, then they have perceptions about what a healthy lifestyle is like. So what were the responses? Can you show us the results of that poll question? I can. So half of Americans think living a healthy lifestyle would make them miserable. What say you? Uh, as I expected, mm-hmm. we had 83% saying that they disagree with that. Uh, that was followed by 6% saying I somewhat disagree, mm-hmm. which I appreciate those people. Uh, and then you had, uh, what, 5% saying I agree. So we did have some people that said they agreed with that. Well, look at our audience, though. 83%, 84%, basically, yeah. going, no, that's crazy. A healthy well, lifestyle would not that, make That, that kind of makes sense, right? You know, yeah. if we had asked this question, doing mm-hmm. a man on the street walking down, uh, you know, yeah. uh, some major city or something like that, would have probably been different. Yeah. Uh, there are some people that say that I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're glad that you're watching the show because those are some things we can talk about. And hopefully... You uh, you stick with the newsletter because one of the big things that we do include in the newsletter are tips and tricks on living a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, and so that is that's something that can be kind of a, a learning uh, tool sure. for that. And other ways to learn about it is come to some of these events that are in the upcoming events tab at robertscabell.com, including the that Journey is- of Healthcare Interactive Summit with Dr. Tracy Straub, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Len Brankowitz, Jamie Dorley, and me, RSB. 
mm-hmm. and that's going to be August 6th in Pittsburgh, or you can stream it live on the air for a fee, but it's worthwhile wherever you can go or however you can get there. I'd love to see you. Speaking st- of events, yeah, really quick, tonight there's a webinar going on. Oh, that's right. We got Glenn Meters coming back, and we're going to do an event today at 7 o'clock Eastern, I think, or you know, 7 Central, so 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock yep. Pacific, and it's free. Click on that link in the, in the notes, show notes, and uh, I think, uh, I don't know where else you have it. Is there a banner or something that people could click on to join in? On it that? went out on the newsletter. It was in the show notes when we, we okay. actually had them on day before yesterday. So mm-hmm. uh, if you are you uh, are on the email list, you got the email actually this morning as well, mm-hmm. just reminding you of the event tonight. Yeah, And I believe if you go over to our Facebook page, mm-hmm. it is also on there as an event. Okay. Uh, and so you can click on it. Despite the fact that they won't air our show, we're still on I Facebook. Know. It's the weirdest thing. I Very strange. Know. But yeah, we have it. Privacy Action Plan with Glenn Meter. So hope to see you there. Also, yep. uh, tomorrow, Friday, the 15th of uh, July, uh, Defending Utah has an event at Salt Lake Community College in Sandy. I'll be there for that. And then we've got other upcoming events. Autism One in the Desert, Mesa, Arizona, August 18th through the 21st. And uh, gosh, there's more there's more happening and we'll announce it as we as we go, uh, of course. And I appreciate it. I think the Simone Golden interview was fascinating. We'll talk more about it in the bonus round in just a moment because we got to wrap up, don't we? We do. All right. Y'all, thanks for being here to share the show. We got the bonus round coming up in 60 seconds from now. If you're listening or watching live because the power to heal is yours. 